You are listening to the IMN podcast produced by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. We've asked members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to share how their lives have been blessed by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Savior's request, come follow me, they have all responded, I am in. Imagine being in the first year of medical school, $75,000 in debt, and receiving a prompting in the middle of class that you were to stop and be a seminary teacher instead. That's exactly what happened to our speaker, and he says his life has been so blessed because of that change. My name is Michelle Burke, and today you will have the privilege of hearing from Will Johns. Brother Will Johns has lived the majority of his life in Idaho and enjoys the outdoors and beauty of his home state. As a young man growing up, he was not raised in a religious household, and it wasn't until at 17 a group of friends invited him to church. That invitation eventually led to an invitation to be baptized. His baptism changed the trajectory of his life and became the start of a journey that has brought him many great blessings. After serving a church mission in the South Carolina Columbia Mission, Brother Johns returned home and began attending classes at the Institute. As predicted by his mission president, he found a beautiful young lady to marry. Will and Allie were married on August 18, 2011. He considers this day one of the highlights of his life. Brother Johns and Allie are the parents of four boys. Brother Johns and Allie both attended and completed their education at Idaho State University. After majoring in exercise science, Brother Johns intended on going into the medical field and began chiropractic school in San Francisco, California. After nine months, a spiritual prompting came to teach seminary, and after some hesitation, a lot of conversation, and diligent prayer, Brother Johns and Allie decided to drop out of medical school and return to Idaho he began the journey of becoming a seminary teacher. He has since completed a master's degree at Boise State University in education, curriculum, and instruction, and is blessing the lives of youth and young adults at both seminary and institute classes in the Treasure Valley. Thank you all uh, for being here. It's good to see you. And I just want to start off by saying that uh, I'm so grateful for for you and for your examples. I don't know every one of you, but uh, it's not easy being a young single adult in 2021. And I just admire your courage, and I admire your faith, and I admire your perseverance through the difficult challenges of this life, and just am grateful for your example, so thank you. Uh, Would you just think about this for a minute? Is your life, has your life turned out the way that you expected it to be in every aspect? Has there been any detours in your life, or has there been any things that uh, have come unexpected, and has your life been directed in a way that you never had anticipated it to be? I know that in life, sometimes it's uh, difficult and challenging when it changes from what we want, Um, but I want to testify today that uh, it's not really about what what we want, it's really about what the Lord needs us to become. And sometimes the events in our lives and the detours we take and sometimes the challenges we face and uh, the difficulties we face are the things that God gives to us to help us to be where we need to be and to become what we need to become. 
So I want you guys just to think for a minute, for the detours in your life or the, or the changes in your life that you didn't anticipate, can you look back on those things and see in any way, shape, or form how the Lord has used those things to help you to become what you are and to help you to become the person you need to be? In my life, uh, I just want to testify to you that uh, the Lord has been my guide, and it's not always been what I expected it to be. And uh, to be completely honest with you, I never had a desire to stand in, pe- in front of people like you and try and teach the gospel. This was not my, this was not my plan, and uh, we'll get into that a little bit later, but I'm so grateful for it because it has helped me to become who I need to become. And so today as we talk um, and as we chat, I hope at some point that uh, in your mind you'll be able to think about your life and where it's going and where it's been, and I hope that you'll be able to look back and see the hand of the Lord in your life and what He's helping you to accomplish and what He's helping you to become in your own personal life, okay? So, a little bit of background about me. I didn't grow up in a religious home. Um, I grew up uh, here mainly in Boise, and I grew up, my my parents got divorced when I was four, and that was a really big challenge for me in my life, even though I was so young. And then my mom remarried, and uh, my mom remarried a a guy that uh, was an alcoholic, and uh, at times abusive, and so I had to kind of live through some of those circumstances, and uh, that was a lot of my childhood, and eventually I decided at the age of 10 that uh, I was no longer going to live with my mom, which was a really big decision to make as a 10-year-old, because my whole life growing up, I was a mama's boy. Like It was like I loved my mom, and I never stopped loving my mom, but there just came a point in my life as a 10-year-old that I had to make a decision. Do I want to continue to live in this toxic environment? And so I made that choice when I was 10 to move in with my dad and began to live with my dad. And then uh, I grew up, we, uh, like I said, just in the area, and then we moved to, to Nampa. And um, I attended the Skyview High School in Nampa. And as I got into school, I met a uh, really cool friend, and he uh, got me introduced into music, playing music. He wanted to start a band, and I had no experience. <laughs> But he's like, hey, here's a bass guitar. I'll teach you how to use it. I'm like, sweet, sounds good. So we go into his basement. Literally, we're like a basement band, like garage band, but in the basement. And um, so we start jamming. Well, the thing is, is I don't know how this really happened, but somehow we, we uh, considered ourselves to be a Christian rock band, even though I'd never really been to church. And um, the other thing that was interesting about being a Christian rock band was uh, somehow we obtained an LDS hymn book and we were just doing songs from the LDS hymn book to rock music. And that was our Christian rock band. So I knew nothing about the LDS church, and I knew nothing about Christianity, really. But we were a Christian rock band, and it was awesome. So we started to jam out in the basement and uh, had a good time with that. So then eventually he invites me to a church. And I said, well, church isn't really my thing. And he said, well, there's a band there, and we can jam at church. And I said, sign me up. I'll be there. <laughs> Signed me up. So I went to a youth group, and they had a full drum set, full bass guitar, guitars, all sorts of stuff set up, big old PA system. And so the pastor would talk for a while, and then afterwards we would just jam. We're just jamming at the church. And so for a long time I just went because we were, we were rocking out there, and it was a good time. And so um, <clears throat> we go there, and I go there for probably like a year, and I like never talked to really anybody there. I just went to play music. And uh, by the way, at this point, I really wasn't very good at music, but it still was fun. So we get into this, uh, we actually joined uh, Battle of the Bands one time, and we were the worst band by far, like terrible. 
And yet we got like a ton of votes because we had the most people that came. So we like had the most groupies there and they like all voted for us. And it was just, it was so skewed. But anyways, <laughs> side note. So anyways, so I'm at this church and uh, at, so at school, so the same kid, he says, hey, would you like to join a musical? And I'm like, I don't sing, I don't dance, I don't act. Is there any other requirements? <laughs> That's not me. And he's like, well, maybe you could just join and like help build the set or something. Like maybe you could just like be behind the stage. And I said, okay, you know, I'll go talk to the lady. So I show up to this musical tryout and uh, the lady says, well, you can't try out or you can't be, you can't help with the stage unless you try out. So 15 minutes later, I was singing in front of a group of people and it was not good. <laughs> and uh, anyways, they were short on guys, so I got put in the musical. And uh, yeah, like literally that was why I got in. So I got in and uh, I think it was Oklahoma or it was Bye Bye Birdie. I don't know. It was one of those musicals. And uh, anyways, turns out that 95% of the cast was LDS. And so I found out that uh, at the time that Mormons like to sing and dance and there was about five Nazarenes and one Methodist. So there's like 30 or 40 LDS kids and then like five Nazarenes and a Methodist. Well backstage after or before the play or before practice they would start to argue about Jesus and they would go back and forth and the one kid's got their Bibles and the other kid's got their Books of Mormon and they're just like going back and forth and like arguing about Jesus. And I'm like you guys are both saying Jesus. Why are you arguing? And again I'm not religious at this point really. And so the LDS kids look at me and they say, hey, well, why don't you just come to church and find out? I said, okay, sounds good. Where, where do I go? And they said, we'll pick you up on Sunday. I said, okay. And so on Sunday, they show up in this big suburban. It's full. I end up in the third row on the way back, <laughs> way back. And, uh, and I go to church. And I'm not expecting anything. I'm just going because they asked me to go. And I said, okay. So I show up to church and, I can, and I'll never forget this day. And this is kind of where my life starts to change. And uh, so we drive up to the South Stake Center in Nampa. And to this day, I'll never forget the feeling I had. We walked in the side of the building and instantly the spirit, which I didn't recognize at the time was the spirit, but the spirit just hit me. Something that I had never felt in any of the other, other churches I had been at. And I instantly had this feeling like this is a place of God and this is where I need to be. And this sweet lady, I'll never forget, her name was Sister Coleman. She just came running up to me. And I had like super long hair. I was not wearing a white shirt and tie, not looking the part. And she's like, thank you so much for being here. It's so great to have you. And I'm like, whoa, she's really happy. But she's really nice. And I had never experienced that at any of the places I had been. And so I go to church. That was still three-hour church. So it was a long time. And I get to the third hour, which was priest quorum. And there's 18 priests in the ward. And all of them I go to school with and am friends with. And I said, wow, this is amazing. So the next week I go back to school and, and we get back to the musical and the kids were like, well, what would you think? And I was like, church is great. And they said, well, now you need to meet with the missionaries. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't waste any time. They didn't waste any time. It was like, you got to meet with the missionaries now. And I said, well, I don't know what a missionary is, but sounds like a good idea. <laughs> and uh, so they set up this appointment with the missionaries and um, I go and they invite me to read some scriptures, and I read them, and then they said, we'll be back in two days. I said, okay, sounds good. Well, two days later, they came back, but it was one of the same guys, but then they brought this really big Tongan guy with him, like, really big Tongan guy. 
And he was amazing. He taught with so much power. And at the end, he's like, we want you to be baptized in two weeks. And I'm like, I am not saying no to him. Yes. <laughs> Sign me up. Where is it at? So I got baptized two weeks later. And uh, it was a great blessing to my life. In the process of all this, um, it kind of happened pretty quickly. But in the process of all this, I had never thought that I'd be a religious person. Uh, the household that I grew up in was not that way. They were good people. But this was not something I had, in, I had planned on. But as I looked back on the event, and as I look back on it now, that was when the Lord began to really influence my life and direct the decisions I was about to make, which has really blessed my life and changed the trajectory of where I'm at. And as I look back throughout my life, I started to see little glimpses of things where the Lord had His hand in my life. At times, in the time, in the moment, I didn't see it. But as I look back on it now, I can go, okay, that was the Lord guiding me. For example, when I was in high school, kids would ask me all the time before I joined the church, they would say, hey, you want to go boating this Sunday? And for some reason in my heart, even though I wasn't religious, I said, you know, I really don't like, I just really don't like to do those things on Sunday. I knew nothing about keeping the Sabbath day holy. But later I looked back and I thought, you know, the Lord was really guiding me through some of these things. And so I joined the church and uh, here's one of the funny stories I want to share with you. And uh, I should probably go back and share something in a minute, but um, my dad came to the baptism, not a member of the church, and the stake presidency looked at my dad, and they were speaking, and they said, we recognize you're not a member of the church, but as a father, we invite you to help your son to keep his covenants. And I didn't think my dad was really listening, but I found out soon that he was. A few weeks later, it was a Sunday, and uh, for whatever reason, I just woke up late, and I was maybe not going to go to church that day, because I just was going to choose not to go to church that day. And my dad came, and he woke me up, and he said, hey, why are you not at church today? And I said, well, because I don't know. I'm just not at church. He said, well, you better go to church, because I'll call your bishop. <laughs> and uh, so I got dressed, and I went to church. And that was my dad. That was, that was the cool thing about my dad, not being a member. He kind of always encouraged me to go to church, even after I joined the church. And uh, so it was really cool to have a father who was a non-member who was kind of strengthening me through those things. And so um, I joined the church. He keeps me going. And then it was only like a year later that I had to make the decision to go on a mission. And my dad really wanted me to go play college football, and I really wanted to, but he was like, so the whole mission conversation was not a fun conversation at the time. And so I, I uh, decided, okay, if I'm going to go on a mission, I've really got to pray about this. I've got to know that this is from the Lord and that this is the decision he needs me to make. And so I went to a sacrament meeting one day, and I'll never forget this day. I sat down, I prayed to Heavenly Father, and I said, Heavenly Father, I need to know if this is true. And if it's true, I will serve a mission and I will go. And I will do whatever you need me to do. So I, I said amen. I grabbed a Book of Mormon. I began reading from the very front page and I began to read the witnesses, the, the three witnesses and the eight witnesses in the Book of Mormon. And it was this overwhelming feeling that I'll never forget that came to me that says, this is true and you need to serve. And I turned to my buddy who was a returned missionary right next to me. I said, I'm going on a mission. And he looked at me like I was crazy because I was planning on not going on a mission. Rewind back to my ward, there was 18 priests in the ward. 16 out of the 18 priests said they would never serve a mission. I was one of those priests, and I'm like, I've only been in the church for like six months. If you're not going, I'm not going, right? <laughs> so I was in that group. <clears throat> well, out of those 18 priests, I was the first to leave. And 17 out of the 18 priests ended up serving missions. And I'm not taking credit for that, but that was kind of the, where I was coming from. That was kind of the background. And so I prayed that day, and Heavenly Father said, you need to serve. You need to go teach this. And I said, okay, I'm done deal. Done deal. I'm going. And so from that day forward, it was, I'm going to serve the Lord because he has asked me to. 
and because this is true and I need to share it with everyone. But a mission still was not my plan. That had never been a plan of mine. Um, I had planned and intended to go to college and play football. That was what I was going to do. And so the time came, and uh, I got my mission call. And I was hoping to go foreign, and I was hoping to go Spanish-speaking. And then the Lord said, sorry. <laughs> but when I read my call, it said the Columbia, South Carolina mission. I read Columbia. I'm like, yes, I'm going out of the country, and I'm speaking Spanish. And then I continued to read, it said Columbia, South Carolina. I'm like, where's South Carolina? <laughs> I was like in that moment, like, where's South Carolina? And it was not Spanish-speaking at all. It was Southern-speaking. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a great mission, but it was not what I had hoped for. So again, the Lord's teaching me in this moment, it's not what you want. It's what you need. I'm giving you what you need to become who you need to become. So will you choose to put your will down and accept mine? Or are you going to continue accepting your own? So three weeks before my mission, I had this point where I wasn't sure if I could do it. And I started to doubt it. And I started to think, you, you, you can't make it. It's two years. That's a long time. And I was praying to Heavenly Father. I said, Heavenly Father, I don't know if I can do this. And I go home one day, and my non-member dad, out of nowhere, says to me, how do you feel about your mission? I said, Dad, I don't know if I can do it. Two years is a long time. My non-member dad looked me in the eyes and he said, you need to serve a mission. And I said, okay, I'm going. And three weeks later, he drove me down to the MTC. And uh, I've never heard my dad talk about spiritual things. He drove me down to the MTC, and at the time, they could still come inside. He came inside. He left. Two days later in the MTC, I got a letter from my dad. I've never heard him talk about spiritual things. In that letter, he wrote, While I was there with you in the MTC, I felt the Spirit of God, and I hope that someday I can be where you are. And that meant a lot. And it taught me in that moment that that was where I needed to be, and that God had a work for me to do, and that he was not only about to bless my life, but he was about to bless the life of my family. So I went on my mission to South Carolina, and uh, I got there the first week, and I was like, where am I at? This is like a foreign world. Like, South Carolina is not the U.S. I don't know. It was crazy. I was like, where am I? I get there the first day. Uh, my trainer takes me to this guy's house. He's a less active member of the church. His name is Brother Henderson. And I go into his house, and he's like, oh, yeah, the bitch don't come over. We haven't talked about the food around here. And I'm like, what did you just say? <laughs> and uh, he had the deepest southern accent you could ever hear and uh, I thought I was in a foreign country like it took me like 20 minutes to really start to understand what this guy was saying and uh, so I get on my mission and I don't even know the guy. I've read five chapters in the Book of Mormon at the point of being in the MTC okay like I, but I know it's true but I haven't read it all and I don't know anything and so I'm just going on faith like Heavenly Father I don't know anything I'm just gonna go and do whatever you need me to do just tell me what to say well, we spent 14 hours the first day knocking on doors, and uh, South Carolina, I don't know if you've ever been there, but uh, it's about 100 degrees most time in the summer, and it's about 100% humidity, so you're drenched all day. So 14 hours the first day knocking doors, I'm like, this is not fun. This is, this is terrible. And slam, people slamming doors, just swearing at us. It was crazy. I'm like, oh man, I've got to get out of here. This is not good. <laughs> And uh, I'll tell you, and I'll be completely honest with you, the first three months of my mission, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. I, wasn't, I was about to come home. 
And uh, I prayed to Heavenly Father, and I said, Heavenly Father, this is not what I thought. And you better give me something to show me that this is still where I need to be because I'm about to go home. I can't, I can't do this. And I said that prayer, and then that day or the next day, I got a letter in the mail. And on that letter was this scripture. It was Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. And it said, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Well, I realized in that moment that I was doing this part. I was leaning on my own understanding and not Heavenly Father's. So in that moment, I made the decision. I said, Heavenly Father, I'm going to start putting my trust fully in, in, in you, but I need your help because this mission thing is hard. And I, and I want to do it, and I want to stay, but I need your help. And I need a confirmation that this is going to be something you're going to do. So the next day, we got a new mission president. And uh, his name was Stephen McConkie. His dad was Bruce R. McConkie. And he came in, and he is a giant of a man. He's like six foot eight. He's like up here. And he's very serious, right? Like he started off like quoting scriptures. I'm like, who is this guy? Like, like he was just so serious. But he, came, he, said, I, he said, after conference, I want to shake everyone's hand. And keep in mind, I'm kind of like, oh, I kind of want to go home, but you know, I'm kind of in this process. But I've been praying to Heavenly Father. So President McConkie comes down the line. He's like, hey, nice to meet you. 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 And then when he, when he gets to me, he just stops. And he says, Elder, where are you from? I said, well, I'm from Idaho. And he made some joke about Idaho for a minute. Something about potatoes, <laughs> of course. And uh, he says, how long have you been on your mission? I said, at present, I've been out for three months. He said, I can tell. He said, you still have that fire in your eyes. He said, you're going to be a great missionary and you're going to accomplish great things in this mission. Is there something else I can help with? No. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> wow. That was good. <laughs> um, that was exactly the message that Heavenly Father needed to send me to help me know that I needed to press forward that I needed to press forward in this mission because it wasn't about my will, it was about His. And it wasn't about what I wanted, it was about what He needed me to become. And so I pressed forward, and from that point forward, my mission became my favorite thing. I loved it. I worked hard every day, every day until I went home. My last transfer of my mission, I trained a companion, and three weeks in, he asked if he could go home because he was being worked too hard. Because I said, hey, you know, we're, we don't take lunch breaks, so if you want a lunch, you better pack it. <laughs> and I said, at some point, we're going to go to dinner, but I don't know when, so hopefully you have a snack in your backpack. <laughs> and I said, we're going to work because the Lord needs us to get these people. He needs us to gather Israel. And I, till the very last day that I got on the airplane, I worked, I worked hard every day, and I loved it. So at the end of your mission, your mission president will pull you in and he'll give you a little interview. And most of the time they tell you to go home and get married. That's kind of their last little, go home and get married and find your eternal companion. My mission president said to me in that moment, he said, you're going to go home and you're going to meet your wife at the institute. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. That's what they all say. And, you know, what, I don't know. He just said, you're going to go home and meet your wife at the institute. And I said, okay, sounds good. So I come home from my mission and I go to the Institute, and the first week I'm at the Institute, the Institute director there uh, talks with the stake president. Eventually I'm called as the Institute Council President, and, uh, which means that you spend a lot of time at the Institute. 
And uh, there was a particular night of the Institute where, and I know this is going to sound really shallow, so please forgive me and don't judge me, but uh, there was a particular night where there wasn't any sisters there that I was particularly interested in. And uh, so it was sometimes hard to go that night because I'm like, well, there's no girls that I want to talk to. <laughs> and uh, so anyways, but I'm driving home from class one night and I drive right past the Institute. And I'm like, yeah, it's that one night. I'm not going. And I just keep driving. And I get this prompting. It's like, nope, you need to turn around and go back to the Institute. And I'm like, nope, I'm going home and I'm hungry. <laughs> and I keep driving and it's like two miles past the Institute. It's like, you better turn around. So I was like, okay, fine. I turn around. I come to Brother Edward's class, which I had been to, and I should have just come for him because he would be worth it, but he was taken. <laughs> and uh, Sorry, brother. Anyways, I go in the back of class. All of a sudden, there's these two new girls sitting there, and I'm like, whoa, okay, this is going to be a good <laughs> night. It's going to be good. And at the end of class, brother, brother Edward says, okay, tonight I want you to introduce, your somebody that you've, introduce yourself to somebody you've never talked to before. And I said, I will. I will do that. And uh, so I go up to my wife. Well, she wasn't my wife, but I go, go up to this girl, and I'm like, hey, do I know you from somewhere? Because when I saw her face, I'm not joking with you guys, when I saw her face, she was so familiar to me. So I went up to her and I said, hey, do I know you from somewhere? And she thought that was like a weird, cheesy pickup line or something. And uh, she's like, yeah, we had 10th grade English class together. And I was like, really? She's like, nope. She turned around and walked out. She left. Like, that was it. And I'm like, I'll be back next week. <laughs> yeah, right? So the Lord, he does reward our diligence and our perseverance. So I came back the next week and the week after and the week after and uh, eventually got a date lined out. And I'm thinking, this is going to be awesome. Like, this could be the one, right? Well, I go on a date, first date. First date should be really good, right? Not good. Really bad. <laughs> So anyways, I plan out this great date, right? I'm like, we're going to Linder Farms, we're going to do a wagon ride, we're going to go pick out a pumpkin, then I'll take her to dinner, then we'll go carve the pumpkin, it'll be great. The wagon ride went okay, went, the, went and got the pumpkin, we're leaving Linder Farms out there, we're on a back road, I'm doing like 60 miles an hour, and I'm like, well, let's liven this up a little bit, and I think it'd be kind of funny. And uh, I hit the brakes, and I scream really loud, and thinking like, this will be funny to scare my wife. Well, she didn't think it was funny. In fact, she was kind of mad about it. So we get to Texas Roadhouse, and we literally didn't talk the entire meal. If we did, it was like little, like little things. But like, she was mad. She was mad about it. So afterwards, we go and carve the pumpkins. It was like, okay, I'm like, whatever. And so I leave, and I'm like, yeah, not the one. Until the Lord came to me that night in prayer and said, you need to go back out with that girl. So I thought, okay, this is the Lord's will, not mine. <laughs> Thy will be done, okay? Went on a second date, thinking, okay, the Lord told me to do this. Second date's got to be better. Wasn't much better. The third and fourth date weren't great either. But I'm testifying to you. I'm testifying to you. The Spirit came every time and said, you need to continue to date this girl. Then the fifth date was okay because, you know, finally there was a little bit of a kiss or something. You know, I'm not going to tell you much about that, but okay. <laughs> fifth date was like, all right, you know, this is okay. And the Spirit of the Lord said, you need to continue to date this girl. And uh, so we dated for about six months, and things were going well. But there was still some hesitation and kind of some like, uh, I don't know. 
And every night, the Lord said, continue to date this girl. And so long story short, as we're dating, her brother-in-law is shot and killed. He's murdered here in Meridian, and that put the damper on things. And uh, so we're kind of like, okay, how do we work through this? And uh, ultimately, in the end, we had sent out invitations for our wedding. And uh, at this point, I proposed to her, and she said yes. And she, uh, she came to my work one day, and she said, hey, just so you know, I am going to go on a mission, so here's your ring. See you later. Well, at this point, I've cried less than this many times in my life. At this point, less than 10. I'm not a crier, okay? But I cried that night for hours, and I was so sad. And uh, long story short, the interesting thing was, eventually she comes back, and she's like, hey, let's get married. And I'm like, okay, sounds great. And by that point, we had already canceled all the invitations we sent out. So we're like, well, we can't resend out invitations. So we basically scheduled an appointment at the Twin Falls Temple and because the Boise one was closed for renovations and we called people the night before and said, hey, we're getting married at the Twin Falls Temple tomorrow. If you can come, if not, it's okay too. So we had eight people in the ceiling room and uh, it, was, it was great. And then afterwards we took about 10 photos and that was the end of it. We didn't have a reception, we didn't do any of that stuff. And the next day I got up and went to work. <laughs> So anyways, it was very like non-traditional, but we had so many situations going on. But the point is I want to share with you guys and all this experience was the Lord continued to speak to me and said, this is the one. And it took me a while to realize that it was. But I knew that as I trusted in God, that he was helping me be, become who I needed to become and that he had placed in my life a wonderful daughter of God that would assist me in becoming who I needed to become. And I trusted in the Lord, and I trusted in the Spirit, and I knew that that was right. Now, I stand up you. We've been married for 10 years now. We have four boys. They're seven, five, three, and one, so my wife's really busy. And uh, I testify to you that decision was the right decision. I am so eternally grateful for my wife. She is my strength. She helps me through so much. Without her, I would be nothing. And I know it was the Lord that put her in my path. And I look back on that and I go, man, it was such a weird thing. Like, right, we didn't start off right. We had terrible dates. Our wedding was weird. Like, we had eight people and took five photos and ten photos and called it good. And, like, that was it. And I'm like, that's just so, like, not traditional. But that's not how the Lord always works. It isn't how we always want it to be. It isn't in the way that we think it's going to be sometimes. But Heavenly Father knows what we need for us to become like Him. So, fast forward, the journey continues. Uh, I planned to go into the medical field and um, worked. My undergraduate was in exercise science, so it wasn't in seminary teaching. I had planned to go to the medical field. I graduated from uh, Idaho State University and uh, was ready to go. And so my wife and I moved with our one, uh, no, two-month-old. We moved with our two-month-old to San Francisco, California. Was not a great place. <laughs> Um, we moved in, and uh, like the third week I was there, my bike got stolen from a second-story balcony. Like, people climbed up the balcony and stole my bike. So we called the cops, and they're like, you're not from here, are you? <laughs> we're like, yeah, we're not from here. We're from Idaho. He's like, yeah, we don't really care about stolen bikes. And I was like, well, yeah, but he stole my bike. And he's like, we'll send someone over. So this guy shows up, and he's like, you guys aren't here from here, are you? He's like, people die on the street. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's good to know. He's like, and then he's like, don't let your wife walk down the road, because she might die. Like, he literally said that. And I'm like, oh my goodness, where did we move to? <laughs> the good news was, the saving grace was, the church was right across the street, and we were in an apartment complex, and there were 70 apartments, and 56 of them were rented to members. So we had our own little Zion, like, right in the middle of, like, chaos. 
It was crazy. So like we were in this crazy place, foreign place, and I begin my journey in the doctorate program. And I will testify to you that the Lord guided me there. This was what I needed to do. This was what God intended me for, uh, for me to do. And I had prayed and we had fasted and this was where we needed to be. So we move in and I begin school and it's going great. And I start playing rugby for the school and that's really fun. And I break my pinky and that was fun too. And everything's going awesome. And I'm loving school and I'm in these crazy classes that are really hard like biochemistry and microbiology and all those fun things. And uh, things are going awesome. And... Uh, I'm having a good time, we're meeting fun friends, we're developing all these awesome eternal relationships that we're going to keep forever and it's going to be awesome. And I get nine months into school, I've spent $75,000 in nine months on schooling and I'm sitting in microbiology one day and I get this massive prompting in my head that's like, you need to teach seminary. And I'm like, nope, not doing it. So I just ignored it, I moved on, I was like, forget that, that was weird, okay? Every day for three weeks in microbiology. I don't know why I was in microbiology. It was really random. Like, microbiology every day. Maybe it was just like the subject, right? Like, this is terrible. You need to get out of here. Um, but the Lord keeps coming. And every day it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And I'm like, ah. Seminary. I don't think I can do it. And I thought back to my seminary days. Because, by the way, after I joined the church, I went to the seminary. Wonderful, beautiful people there. Great teacher. Seminary became a time to get breakfast for me until one day the seminary teacher sent the entire seminary council to my house and then I never missed again. Um, but I was not the greatest seminary student. In fact, when I was leaving on my mission, I had to confess over the pulpit some things to the seminary council because when they came to my house that day to get me, I like was army crawling across my house, hiding from them and like hiding behind a wall. And I went back to school that day and they're like, hey, where, where were you? We know you were in there. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> totally denied it. As I'm leaving on my mission, like, hey, confession, everyone, I was there. Thank you for coming because you helped me get back to seminary. Okay, sidetrack, right? <laughs> that was my seminary days. Like, that's, my, that's what I'm remembering in microbiology going like, no, you can't do it. I can't deal with me in high school. Like, I can't deal with people like me who gave the teacher a hard time. Uh, someone also tried to fight me in seminary one day. So that was my seminary experience. So thinking back on it, I'm like, there's no way. And Heavenly Father says, yeah, this is what you're going to do. So I text my wife, and I'm thinking, okay, we've spent 75000 bucks. She's going to tell me there's no way. And I'm hoping she does. So I text her, and I'm like, hey, I'm getting this really strong prompting. We should teach, teach seminary. What do you think? She instantly responds, and she says, I think that's what you need to do. I'm like, you got to be kidding. So I make some phone calls. Long story short, it's really hard to become a seminary teacher. Like 4% of the people get hired. And this guy was like, don't quit school, but here's how you become a seminary teacher. So I went and quit school because the Lord told me to. And he's like, why did you do that? Okay, fine, let's move forward. So I said, I'm moving back to Boise. So we literally like, we dropped out, loaded a U-Haul, and we were driving back to Boise within a week, like gone. And I was just going like, Heavenly Father, you better be right on this one. And uh, so anyways, long story short, the doors start to open and the Lord's hand is in everything. And like the first process of becoming a seminary teacher is really hard and they like, it's just really hard. Midway through that, I get a priesthood blessing. And in this priesthood blessing, this guy has, n he has no clue how hard it is to become a seminary teacher. He lays his hands on my head and he says, you will become a seminary teacher. I was like, that's a pretty bold blessing to give. And two months later, I got the higher letter to become a seminary teacher. And uh, so... In the midst of all this, though, there's, there's something I want to share, and we'll kind of start to wrap this up today. 
in the midst of all this, I knew I was following the Lord. But initially, there were some moments when I thought, Heavenly Father, why did you tell me to go to California? Why did you allow me to spend $75,000 and then tell me to turn around and come home and be a seminary teacher that won't even make that amount of money in a year? Right? Why would you do that? And then the Lord started answering those prayers. Two months after I moved back to Boise, I get a phone call from a guy in California. He said, hey, I want to thank you. You changed my life. I'm like, what? <laughs> Hardly even know the guy. <laughs> he said, you and I had a conversation in the hallway at church that you probably don't remember. But he said, because of that conversation, I went into the bishop and confessed something that I'd been hiding for 10 years. And because of that conversation, I now am worthy of a temple recommend. And because of that conversation, I'm now going back to the temple. So thank you for changing my life. And I thought, well, that was Heavenly Father. It wasn't me. But I thought about it. And I thought, if Heavenly Father needed me to be that person, it was worth every penny of $75,000 to do it. And it was worth every penny of everything that I experienced in California. And every, everything we went through was worth it. So then a few weeks passed by, and I get a call from my bishop back in California. He said, hey, I want you to know uh, that uh, Brother Kanye's passed away. And he said, you were instrumental in preparing him for the other side of the veil. And I got to thinking about that, and I'm like, okay. So when I got there, I got called into the ward mission, got to go to Brother Kanye's home. They were inactive, and then their daughter was dating a non-member. I got to teach them with the missionaries every week, and they became some of my favorite people. Brother Kane and his family got reactivated, and I got to baptize the non-member son-in-law who became the son-in-law who got married. And I thought, if Heavenly Father needed me to spend $75,000 to bless this family, it was worth every penny. And so over and over, the Lord starts to teach me, I put you there because not only did you need to learn some things and become what I needed you to become, I needed you to bless my children. I need you to gather Israel. And uh, the one last experience I'll share with you, my wife became a visiting teacher at the time I was visiting teaching to a 92-year-old woman who had never been to the temple. She'd been inactive for a long time. My wife got to go to her home and teach her and, and be a part of her home. And then my wife got to go through the temple with her to get her endowments at the age of 92 years old. So when I looked back and I said, Heavenly Father, why was I sent there? It all made sense. I had to be there for nine months to do what the Lord needed me to do. And then he said, now is time for you to move and to change. So in your lives, as you go through experiences, it may not be what you think it's going to be. And you may not end up in the profession that you think you're going to end up in. You may not marry the person you thought you would. But if you're humble enough and willing enough to do the Lord's will and not your own, the Lord will bless you to be exactly where you need to be with exactly who you need to be with to become who you need to become, like Him. So my final thing today I want to share with you guys, at the same time that I was um, invited by the Lord to become a seminary teacher, I was hit really hard with anxiety and OCD and, and depression. To the point where when I was in my student teaching my first year, when I, went, when I taught one class at Middleton High School, 
it took every ounce of my energy to go and teach that one class. And then I came home and I spent the rest of the day on the floor for 10 hours, 15 hours a day. I was just laying there because I was so overcome by anxiety and this mental illness that all of a sudden struck out of nowhere. And at the beginning of this mental illness, I felt pretty upset with Heavenly Father. I said, Heavenly Father, why are you doing this? Like, I've done thy will. I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've gone where you've needed me to go. Why, why, why this? And I was a little bit upset. And, I, you know, why am I going through this? Why am I experiencing this? And for those of you who have not heard of OCD, it's not just the type of thing where you've got to wash your hands and, like, organize your desk. We're talking things that are much worse than that and much harder to go through. And so as I experience this mental illness and I start to go through this, I'm like, Heavenly Father, what is going on? Why are we doing this? But slowly over time, as I prayed to Heavenly Father, there was one morning, I'll never forget, it was 5 a.m., I was up and I was on my knees, and I was like, Heavenly Father, I need your help today. I can't do this alone. And as soon as I said amen, my phone went off, and the stake president had sent out 30 talks from General Conference that he wanted the stake to study. And I studied the very first talk, and it mentions mental illness in there, and it mentions how this, how this might help you to become like Heavenly Father. And so I start reading this, like, inspired by God that I got this. I start going through this whole process, my whole year. Well, I get to, I get, uh, like I said, I'm going to do student teaching for seminary, but I'm like sweating bullets and I'm having anxiety every day. Well, I found this scripture in the New Testament, and it's Philippians 4.13, and this became my power scripture. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. As I'm driving every day to seminary to teach, I'm gripping the wheel, and I'm just repeating in my mind, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And this is what got me through my day. And then as I begin to pray, Heavenly Father kind of in, invites me in my mind to go seek out medical and professional help, and so I did, and I got some things that really started to help me, and I started to kind of overcome these things, but I, I got to a point where I could function again, and where I could do things again, and slowly but surely as I trusted in the Lord, I was led and guided to things that helped me, and helped me to get through my day. It didn't mean that the mental illness was gone, didn't mean that the anxiety had disappeared, it just meant that Heavenly Father was helping me to get through the day and to function properly. And so as I trusted in him and as I followed him and as I listened to the things that he prompted me to do, I began to be able to function more and more and more and more. And one hour turned into two and two into three and three into five and five into ten. And I began to gain function again. And my life felt good again. And I felt like pretty healthy again. And then there was another period of time where I kind of dipped back into that. And it became really hard and it was a struggle. And I had to work through it again. And through this whole process, I see the, Lord, the Lord's hand. He's saying, just hang on, I'm teaching you something. And I began to think about this, and, I'm like, and I began to have all these like, promptings in my mind of like, why is Heavenly Father making me go through this? Well, through that whole process, it caused me to trust in the Lord, and it caused me to rely upon the Lord every day for my strength. Without Him, I was nothing. And so as I trust in the Lord and as I put my faith in the Lord, I begin to make it through. And so as I'm learning all these things, I'm learning that this is God's way of helping me to become like Him and helping me to trust in Him. And so as I go through these things, uh, one of the things he begins to do is uh, he begins to put people in my life who are struggling with the same things that I am. And I begin to realize slowly and surely that this is a way that Heavenly Father is helping me to become an instrument in His hands to help His children to overcome the same things that I've been through. I begin to realize that Heavenly Father doesn't make us go through our hard things. He doesn't make us go through our challenges necessarily for just us, but it's so that we can help other people. And so to this day, I want to share with you guys, I still struggle. I still struggle with mental illness. I still struggle with those things. But Heavenly Father provides the strength for me to do what I do, to come to work, to provide for my family, to be the person that I need to be for my family. And while it hasn't gone away, Heavenly Father has taught me to trust in Him and rely upon Him. And I know that through Elder Holland's statements, that in the eternities that this will be taken from me, that through the resurrection, I will be, I will be healed. 
And each day I just look forward to the hope of the resurrection, knowing that eventually this mental illness will go away. But for now, I'm going to endure and I'm going to trust in the Lord and He's going to help me through it and I'm going to help other people who are going through it as well. So in closing today, I just testify of this. In your lives, your lives may not be what you think it would be. I never thought I would be a seminary teacher. I never thought I would teach institute. I never thought that I would have mental illness. I never thought that I would go through the things that I've been through. But I can testify today that I am the man that I am because of what I've been through. And that I am more like Jesus Christ today because of what God has allowed me to experience. So in your lives, as you choose college, as you choose professions, as you choose spouses, as you choose things with children in the future and, and finances and all the things that you're going to go through, I invite you that when the Lord speaks to you and you hear Him, to act immediately because His, His will will be done and He will guide you in the way that He needs to guide you. The only way you can reach your full potential is through following His will and His, and His guidance and choosing Him over yourself. So in closing today, let's look at this quote. I really love it. It's from... Uh, not this one, this one. It's from Elder Eyring. He says, The good works that really matter require the help of heaven. And the help of heaven requires working past the point of fatigue so far that only the meek and lowly will keep going long enough. The Lord doesn't put us through his, this test just to give us a grade. He does it because the process will change us. I can testify to you today that your trials can become miracles. That your trials and your struggles are the things that change you if God is your guide. Christ is the key. Your trials without Christ won't change you, but your trials with Christ will help you to become like Him. I know that to be true and testify of that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.